0: Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 89 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Today's guest is Josue Miranda. We co-starred together in Curious' play that just dropped a couple of weeks ago. We just closed it, Refuge. He is now in the new show for Benchmark, You Will Get Sick. So please go check that out as soon as you can. We discussed his journey from being a young boy, deciding, defining who he is, and where theater took him along that journey and where his journey has led him as a man hope you enjoy please like and subscribe today tell your friends and remember go get those tickets for you will get sick dan give me war by the hypnotic brass ensemble Ghosties, welcome to episode 89 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. It's your boy, Sam Gilstrap. We are live inside the Plus, or the Plus, if you like to be difficult when you pronounce things that don't have multiple use of them, Gilstrap. Sorry. We are live inside the Plus Theater, inside the Elaine Wolf... Meisel Arts and Cultural Center. Arts and Cultural Center. I don't, <laughs> Where are we? Where are we, Dan? We're inside episode 89 with the esteemed guest, Josue Miranda. That's right. Casca Bell. Hi. Hola. Hi. What's up, baby? Nothing much. How you doing? Just hanging out. you just hanging out? Did yeah. you do anything fun over the weekend? I uh,
1: we opened another show. What, what show was that? You Will Get Sick by Noah Diaz at the Benchmark Theater. Okay. At the, be- at the Benchmark? At the Benchmark. That's right.
0: That's awesome. It's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah. Who
1: directed that thing? Uh, Christy montour Larson.
0: Ooh, nice. Yeah, that's a good show. Well, congratulations on opening the show. Thank you. Will you show. do me a favor and give me like the... The back of the DVD description without giving too much away. Gotcha yeah so
1: it starts the show starts out I mean just right off the bat. you're already wondering what's going on. These two people are on a phone conversation. The guy played by Peter Trin um, is calling Peter this uh, is calling like this woman who just oh well, no no sorry excuse me she's calling him because he put out a flyer. To be like, hey, I'll pay you uh, $40, $20 to call me and I'll tell you something. I'm trying to work something out. And so she calls him and immediately it's like, oh, what's you want to say? But also there is a shadowy figure narrating him in the second person almost Ooh. immediately. The show You Will Get Sick has to do with his sickness and his journey from, uh, from being healthy to being sick. And all the things that kind that, like, just entail that. Oh my God. So,
0: yeah. That sounds that sounds pretty heavy. That's cool.
1: It's really interesting, honestly. It's nice. really really cool. I'm
0: looking forward to I'm looking forward to catching that. Oh yeah yeah. Congratulations think, on opening the show. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It's almost as if this was a strategic invite. Oh really? Maybe was some, it? Yeah. Maybe you'd have something to promote. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and then thus an excuse to share this over the webs. Yeah. No, you know, please, please come <laughs> <the> see. <social. laughs>
1: please come see. You will get sick. It's a wonderful show. We uh, we definitely love more audience. We'd love more people to come see the show. This is definitely one of those word-of-mouth shows. You got to come see it. You really do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, how long do you guys run?
1: We run until May fourteenth. May fourteenth. But if the seats are filling up, we'll open another weekend. Oh, so I'm hoping for that. That'd there be great. we go.
0: Ooh, can we? If that happens, I'm going to take full responsibility for it. We'll call it the Ghost Lights bump. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You can and coin the term. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Let's let's make sure we put put that mm. out there. All forty of my regular downloads. All 40 of my regular listeners are going to come see it, and they'll see it every day so we can extend the show one more <laughs> week. Yeah. <get>. yeah, <laughs> yeah We'd we love that. We'd love to see that. Nah, that'd be, <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. Well, theater, how did it happen to you? Well, it definitely happened
1: to me for sure. Um, when I was a kid, it all started when I was a kid because as a kid, I would not stop talking. I'd be nonstop talking. I would talk like literally from day, from sunrise to sunset. My brother hated how much I talked. He literally just like, I think at one point I just talked my head off one point and he just goes, you know what, man, Ivan, I think you just, I think you would just be great as like an actor or something. Like, I don't know. You just talk all, this, you talk a lot. Like, I think you'd just be great for it. And I, and I, instead of like taking offense to it, I was just like, really, you really think I would be good at that? He was like, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. So that, that kind of like inspired me to kind of like look more into it. Maybe take a class once I got to high school and I loved it. It was really great. Um, I felt like I was able to express a side of me that I wasn't usually able to express. I mean, I was kind of a really quiet kid, kept to myself, tried to be honestly, like always, always not crossing any lines. Right. Mm. I always wanted to be the good boy. So,
0: so when were you like the type of talkative kid at home and then in these public situations like school and more introverted then exactly. Yeah. yeah. What was it about the, the theatrical experience you had that helped open you up and give you that confidence?
1: I guess it was breaking expectations really. Cause I mean, really, I mean everyone thought I was the quiet kid. I really didn't say that much. I mean, really what I was doing was I was focused. Mm. I actually really wanted to learn as much as I could in that high school class that I took. Mm -hmm. And finally, when they gave us a monologue, I mean, I did it two ways. (laughs) The first time I did it kind of like a vato from the street, you know, like, hey man, like I'm working here, you (laughs) know, and doing all this stuff. I'm I'm, I'm in my high school. I'm literally in like my teenage years. Of course Mm -hmm. I'd make a choice like that. (laughs) And then we're supposed to do it two different ways. So that's the first time I did it. And I was like, oh, I I noticed how quiet and like how everyone was just like, oh, whatever. Like, can this just be over already? Mm -hmm. So I go off stage and the second time I do it, I instead decided to do a like Southern Rancher kind of thing, but like a really like eccentric one. And so I just came in just like, like a rocket, just like immediately go, well, how y'all doing? How y'all doing today? My name is so-and-so. I don't even remember the monologue, Mm -hmm. but that was the energy I came in with, you know, it Mm -hmm. was just like immediately I could just see everyone in the theater just kind of turning their heads like, whoa, like, where'd that come from? What was, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And afterwards, after we all kind of did our monologues, I remember the next day I came back to class and someone immediately said it. It was like, Josue, like, no, Josue, Ivan. They called me Ivan back then. Um, Mm. They were like, Ivan, like, I I just can't believe that, like, you have that in you. Like, you're so quiet. And I'm just like, I just told them, I was like, well, I was just trying to learn as much as I can. Mm. That's just it. Like, I just, I want to learn as much as I can now to see if I like it or not.
0: Did you feel like you were at at that level? This is high school, right? right. Did you feel that your school, you were getting... Pushed and given the the materials you needed to grow as an actor, or was a lot of this just you? It's a class that's being provided. I'm throwing myself out there, and hopefully, by experience, I gain knowledge.
1: Back then, I was hoping it was just as good as any other acting class. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really didn't know there was that was like my first like um, my first step into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was just like I hope I get as much experience as I can to like try it out and do things. And I mean, I definitely. I had something to it. Mm-hmm. There, there was something. When you, when you can turn people's heads and completely blow expectations from the people in the room, regardless of what level you're at, it's mm-hmm. like, whoa. Like, there's something there that's like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in hindsight, I did go to college for acting. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it's like, oh, wait a minute. It was, it was definitely one of those. It was just a high school class, basic introduction. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Really, I don't think at any point like acting in high school was not about anything. Whereas in university, it was like acting is about one character trying to get another character to do something.
0: Mm. Did you find that that was what was being presented to you? This one actor, this one character reach trying to reach over to another character? Or did you see any roots spread from that and see other ways that theater could exist?
1: Oh, man. Back then, I, I don't think I would have seen it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like now looking back to it, it's like, yeah, there were more... I think that was just like my roots barely setting in, right? Oh, totally. Growing different mm. directions where I could go with it.
0: Mm. And yeah. you're now at this place, this you were performing professionally. The growth that has taken place from there. How different is Josue the performer now?
1: Well, so different that I changed my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to it, right? I mean, back then I was I was I like, went by Ivan, which is my middle name. Mm um because i mean at a a young age in elementary school like the first thing people saw teachers would see in their attendance sheet was Mm jose and no one ever said it right Mm -hmm. no one ever did it was always joshua it was always joe Mm -hmm. it was always like oh you know everyone always thinks it's joshua and it's like no 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 it's it's jose with a u Mm -hmm. jose it's not it looks like jose just with a u in there Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was kind of like my inclination like you know what i just go by ivan like less trouble, like less people going in the room going like, no, his name isn't Joshua, it's Josue. And it's like, there's a lot of uncomfortableness with that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everyone knew me as Ivan, even in college, the first two years I went by Ivan, all the professors knew me by Ivan. And honestly, university, there were a lot of of professors who started saying like, hey, you know, Josue is a really good name. Like, you should definitely use that. Mm. And I guess that's that's something that did change in university. I kind of started growing a little bit more and kind of realizing, like, hey man, like, yeah, that's that's my first name. My dad gave that to me. Yeah. My dad. He he was gonna name me Jose like mm-hmm. him, but he said that when he was in Mexico, when growing up in Mexico, he would um, kids would call him Pepe, because that's the cultural thing. It's like Jose's or Pepe's mm-hmm. over there, and he hated being called Pepe. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know what? I don't want that for my son. So we added a U in there and I was Hosway. Mm. And I never really liked the name. It was like un- I was not until a professor was like, You should really use it. It's really interesting. I was like, Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Do you see a difference in who Ivan is as opposed to who Josue is? Absolutely. Was there was there always a it sounds like there was a bit of a conflict between the two. Yeah. Like a resistance and and, and a did you find yourself resisting being called us because of the w- added work it took to get people to acknowledge you correctly and that and then Ivan was just the path less traveled I guess yeah. e- the easier path to go down
1: Yes and also there's a lot more to it mm. right I think there there's a story here that I I'm am i I was I was even telling Lindsay my fiance is just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's so ingrained in me I can't not talk about it. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I'm I'm an immigr- I'm an immigrant. Mm-hmm. I came to this country at a very young age and I overstayed a visa and I'm undocumented, mm-hmm. right? So there's a whole lot of that experience in my life entirely. So I mean Really, I remember at a young age, like, my family, like, warned me. Like, look, listen, don't don't tell anyone you're Mexican. Mm. Don't tell anybody you speak Spanish. Like, don't. Please don't. And I never understood it as a kid. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It's who I am, right? Mm-hmm. It's who I am. So, I, I mean, I always shared it. I really was, like, I didn't understand it back then. But, like, you know, eventually, like, they, my, my parents had to sit me down. And they were like, hey, listen, like, you are an undocumented immigrant. And like, you know, that means that you're not going to be able to do certain things. Right. And it's tough. It's tough hearing that as a kid. Like, you don't know what it means. You don't Mm -hmm. you don't understand what it means, but it is affecting you every single day of your life. I said, like, you know, I went to that high school drama class trying to learn as much as I could. I was really trying to be a sponge because I didn't know what would. What? How else I would get in involved in mm-hmm. theater after high school? Like, really, there were no options for me mm-hmm. back then. I mean, I didn't have a social security number. I wasn't allowed to work. I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So, for me, that was also part of the reason I didn't use Houseway. Mm-hmm. Was to kind of like, okay, like my name's Ivan. It is part of my name. It is who I am. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. almost like a camouflage, if you will. Ah. They're not gonna like you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, like all those, all those um, Homeland Security folks are going to look at someone named Ivan, yeah. right? they'll look at someone named Josue, but not Ivan. Mm-hmm. So that was always my mindset. And I mean, I, I mentioned that I went to family therapy mm-hmm. last week. And one of the things that really came out of that was the therapist looked at me and was like, well, hey, listen, like growing up as an immigrant in the United States, especially an undocumented immigrant, it's a traumatic experience mm-hmm. and it changes you. And that, like, it, I almost, like, I didn't feel a weight lifted on me, but I was just like, oh, that's that's a pretty big revelation there. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess it is. I kind of always thought it was an experience that defined me and, like, changed me, but I never thought of it as a traumatic experience. And so, I mean, yeah, when you ask me there was if there was a difference between Ivan and Josue, there definitely is. Mm-hmm. Ivan, to me, felt like the kid who didn't know where he was going to be in 10 years. Ask him at 15, didn't know where he was going to be in 25. Yeah. And that really changed in about 2011, 2014. I forget when it came out, but uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I'm mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've, you've heard the spiel before, but yeah. Um,
0: basically, it's for kids. Q- but the ghosties haven't.
1: That's right, that's yeah. right. So Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals is this wonderful program um, that was uh, enacted through... Um, by President Obama through what what's that power the, uh, the executive executive, executive priority, order yeah. it was an executive yeah. order
0: thanks Obama
1: thanks Obama no seriously thanks yeah, Obama thanks, you kind of changed the course of my seriously, life there <laughs> man thank you. like I was yeah. like I was like man I don't know where I was gonna be in ten years but like you know he put this out and I didn't I was not paying any attention to it my mom like I remember her mm. kind of just having a smile on her face one day when I came home and she was like. Like almost as if like, hey, like your life's going to change right now nice. for the better. And I, I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know what it was. She paid attention. She took the notes and like we gathered. Gosh, it was like a massive folder, a massive folder of evidence, like every single report card, anything the school gave us, anything is evidence. Can you imagine that? Like a receipt that you bought you last week is suddenly like one of the biggest key pieces of evidence that shows that you are in the country. And that's kind of like, that's what happened for like six months. We were putting this all together. We worked with um, a law group um, in Denver and they helped us like really fill this out and put it through. And then we got approved. And suddenly like I have this work permit that lasts me every two years Mm -hmm. and it also protects me against deportation. And honestly, ever since I was like 14, 15 that's kind of what changed Mm -hmm. and i mean that that was like to me i was like oh great now i can maybe continue theater after high school maybe there is a chance to go to university but even then that was like well how do we come up with the money can we even do that like do i get financial aid Uh, I, i i don't get any financial aid yeah from the government but like you know like a lot of people like i mean marianne keller and her daughter um andrea keller uh, I took dance from Andrea and then I, uh, I took voice from uh, Marianne mm. and they were just like, no, no, no. Like you, you need to, you need to work for it. You need to call these people. You need to make things happen. You need to get the funding for yourself. Mm. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Like, this is so weird. Like I, I didn't expect this to be something that we could do. And I even brought my parents to go see Marianne and Marianne just gave them the spiel. And they were, they even were like, wow, we didn't know it was that accessible. We didn't know that might be a thing that we might be able to do. And so, yeah, like that was, yeah. Nice. It's a lot of the journey.
0: Yeah, no, that's, (laughs) it's so funny. We we talk often, I talk often about how being on stage, being another person allowed me to find myself. I feel like there's some of that to your story, but then there's this, is there these two diver, there's a divergent road there was Josue, there was Ivan, and it took the time that it did, not talking about politics at all, but to like bring those back together. Yeah, And I imagine there's a freeing quality of self that is probably experienced there, and then on stage, I could only assume that there would be some weight lifted when when your therapist mentioned the trauma of that, it was like, I wonder if that's the first time you've been, like someone has just like called that out for you. Yeah. Like you've been grappling with yourself and then you get seen in that space. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. But like that's, there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot that's being unpacked there, both personally, professionally. We're now working through our, our skills and there's a different voice. There's yeah. a completely different voice that's there. And uh, it's cheers to that. Cheers to that. We love it. Yeah.
1: Cheers, cheers, gents. Definitely. Yeah, I don't I don't see where I could have been in life without theater. Mm. And that's so that's so crazy to say because I mean it's 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 putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and telling their story, right? And there's just so much beauty to that. There's so much magic to it. And for me, growing up, I mean, it meant everything. Because, I mean, the reason it's a traumatic experience is because you're being told no. Mm-hmm. No, like, it's like, you know, like, when I, when a kid any age tells you, like, I want to be an astronaut, you're like, yeah. You look at him and you can totally be an astronaut, right? Mm-hmm. You're absolutely. You can absolutely be an astronaut. But for me, it's like, no, you can't be an astronaut. Yeah. Because this, this,
0: and this. Well, it's, it, it's so funny i mean the, in the land of opportunity right for a pocket of our our population to be denied any opportunities outside of whatever is available to you in like a 10 block radius under the table mm-hmm. like that's it's so limiting and that there are people who will see that wall no pun intended mm-hmm. and just get to it and just sit down and take it to then be provided a way through it and over it is obviously life changing. But I mean, it's yet I don't think you were even in a place where you could hope for that. Whereas you were probably going to school and surrounded by people who never had to worry about that and will never have to worry about that. Yeah. And act as though that this is just life. Yeah. Okay. I have to accept, I have to accept it. It's just, it's very limiting. And thankfully, that's not something you have to accept anymore. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What was it? I was, I actually had a thought about this recently. Um, There was a key moment uh, with my best friend. I remember we were both in the same algebra class in high school. And I mean, he really didn't want to do any of it. He Mm -hmm. was done with school. Like he didn't want to be there. He wanted to be anywhere else. And, and it, w- it was just like, I remember the teacher, Ms. Powell, coming to me, and she was just like, hey, can you talk to your friend? Like, can you maybe see, like, why he doesn't want to do stuff and maybe see if he can maybe start doing some of his work? Mm-hmm. And I talked to him, and he said, tells me the same thing, stonewalled. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like, I'm kind of worried about my friend. Yeah. And I remember we, we rode the same bus. We're on the school bus home, and I'm just like, hey, man, like, what do you want to do with your life? you know wh- wh- where do you want to get to in like five or ten years and he just he just gave me like a straight up fast answer like i don't know mm. i was like, don't really care and i'm just like whoa like really you don't care like as a friend i was just so worried about him and i'm like man like this is crazy like what yeah. like what do you mean and he's just like yeah i just don't know i just don't want to be in school i don't want to do anything and you know he's going through his own experiences yeah. absolutely but from my experience it was like man you don't want to do anything dude if i had what you had I could do so much more. Yeah. I could do everything I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Everything. But I don't. Oh. And there's no way to just get that.
0: Yeah. Right. And so how do you explain that to them? Exactly. How do you? Yeah. Without at that age, too. Yeah. At that. How old are you? I am now 26. Well, how old are you in this, on this bus ride? 1450. 1450. Yeah. yeah. Things just quite haven't changed for you yet. How do you have a conversation with a friend? About their opportunity that they have intrinsically that you have no access to. Exactly. Like it gets, it's like whenever like there, there's the, this old trope in like TV, like after school specials, these little movies about like, and all sports movies in some regard has a character in it that is so talented, man, so talented you could do whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah and And then they don't, and so then the coach or a friend or a loved one challenges them, and like, you don't understand how great you have it if you just applied yourself blah 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 blah, but yeah. to come from somebody who's like, "I'm doing everything I can to to like like soak up as much knowledge as I can before they shut off every avenue available to you for me, yeah. Like, how do you have that conversation? That's got that's super challenging.
1: That's tough. But yeah. hey, I I still talk to him. Good. I had the conversation with him yesterday, and like it was oh, it man. was great. I, I love I love my best friend. Nice. So
0: well, shout out to besties. Shout out to besties, man. Hell yeah. But
1: um, oh yeah, go for it. No, man.
0: no, no. You had something to add. Go for
1: it. Um, I don't know. It's just like, yeah, there there are a lot of no's in this industry too, right? You go audition, you put your heart out, you put a heart and soul, and you get a no.
0: Yeah. It's
1: yeah. Just that's it. I. Growing up with being told nothing but no's, it really changes you. It changes your perspective on things. I mean, really, really. I mean, I auditioned. I auditioned for one school, my senior year, only one school, University of Northern Colorado. Got rejected. Hmm. They didn't. uh, I mean, honestly, what I what I put out as my monologues and my audition was not great. So I mean, it was what it was. I was like, all right, cool. I took an off year, uh, gap year. Went, I, well, I got my first job. I got my driver's license at 18. I didn't even get it at 16. Like, mm-hmm. I literally waited forever to get it. And I finally got it. I mean, there were so many things going on that year. And I remember I, I was talking to people. I was talking to voice teachers, other voice teachers that I worked with. Um, and they and they just told me, you know, it's like, hey, like, it's okay if you don't have an answer of what you want to do with life. Like, it's okay to leave it blank. It's okay to to not say anything. And, I mean, to not to not figure out where you want to be in five or ten years. But, I mean, some, something something about it, though, is just like, there's something about acting there's just something there there's something there that I really 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 gravitated towards mm-hmm. I mean it's it, at that point it had done so much for me as far as like dig deeper and like grow my 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 emotional strength I guess in a yeah. way and it's just like there was just something there like I can't I can't quit and that's where I, I meant I met Marianne as I mentioned before mm-hmm. and like um yeah and then she just kind of like encouraged me and like worked with me to like put up a, a couple of musical theater auditions go to unifieds mm. um in Chicago unified auditions and I auditioned for like 10 11 schools and I was supposed to audition for UNC mm-hmm. but there was a giant snowstorm that happened and so that was it like the it was um no yeah dice. that guy that was going to come didn't come okay so I was like all right whatever like it's like I guess I'll have to go to Greeley and once again audition for these guys and so I did. Mm. And I auditioned for the musical theater. And like, I, man, I, I, I already knew I was, I already knew it was a no. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, you just know, like the way you walked in, the way you talked to people, the way people talk to you. It was just like, no, this isn't, this is a no kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I walked down the stairs of Frazier, and I'm in the lobby. And I realize I see a sign that say, that says acting auditions downstairs for the acting program. That was the program I got rejected from originally. But here I am now, a year later, with a completely different set of like monologues and a different set of songs, a different set of skills now. And I'm just like, I should do it. I didn't, I didn't have a slot. I was like, fuck it. I should do it. Mm-hmm. And so I go downstairs. And, I, and I, like, I'm like, hey, do you have any room? And it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're about to finish up for like the year. Mm. Like, this is it. This is the last day I could do it. And I was like, "Great! Like, sign me up. My name is Josue Miranda. Like, Josue, my full name. I give him my full name, and they had me wait there. And I went in, and I did it. Like, I did it. And I could just feel. One year later, I was in a completely different position. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I did something right this time. Yeah. And like, I mean, it was literally. I was the last one they saw. It was uh, Tom McNally, Shelly Gaza." Uh, Ken Womble and Andrea Moon, shout out to all of them. Mm. Um, They all got up and they all started leaving the room. And I remember um, this guy named Drake, he comes up to me and he's like, I was like, hey man, uh, you don't know me. My name's Drake. I'm a first year student here. And my dude, like you did everything I'm learning right now to do. You did every single thing. Nice. Like he was, he was in like shock or awe. I don't even know how to describe it. I was just like, whoa, like that's crazy. Like I did not, I did not expect that. Mm. I did not expect that, especially knowing the expectation from last time. Like, oh Yeah. yeah, they just kind of, shrugged and like moved on but i was like oh i even st- i even stuck around to like clean up the chairs too i don't know if they got me any bonus points but i did that <laughs> i did that out of the honesty of my heart like i saw them packing up and i'm like hey i'm here like yeah. what am i just another body like here i'll help you Absolutely. and like he took me around town i met other acting like people and then i was like great like this is great like thank you so much for sharing a little mm-hmm. bit about the acting program like i headed back and i just felt so good about it i was like wow that was that was really good i got waitlisted and then i got accepted Nice. And that actually ended up being the school I went to because, well, it's in state. And I mean, man, I got, I got, I had to call so many schools, and so many schools told me, like, oh, man, you know, we, we can't really do anything else for you. Mm. Like, we get it. You're deferred action for whatever arrival. Like, I don't really care. Like, it's like, you're honestly, you're an international student to us. We got no other help for you. Like, that's it. And I was like, damn, that's cold.
2: Yeah. Like, and they
1: literally, like, ended the call thinking that I was going to accept anyway like man some of these schools dude it's mm. like y'all don't get it y'all really don't get it what don't they get Why don't they get uh that some people just like they just showed up here like i, I what i showed up at three years old mm. you really think like i mean you hear all these arguments like well i mean you know they're not kids anymore like they're still staying here it's like this is the only life i've known mm. i can't just go back to mexico like i don't know how things are over there i don't i don't know how things work yeah I always think to myself, like, you know, what would have happened if I stayed? What kind of person would I be? Would I still like theater? Mm. Would I still be who I am now? Would I have trouble with who I am as a person, Josue or Ivan? Like, these are questions that, you know, they, mm. they boggle my mind. But, I mean,
0: yeah. the, they, I'm not
1: over there. I'm no. here. I yeah. grew up here as just kind of like maybe like you guys,
0: right? No maybe about it. I mean, you about here. I mean... I don't remember much before the time I was three. I woke up in on a couch in Michigan staring up at a ceiling and my mom poked her head over to pick me up from the babysitter and then take me home. That's like my first memory.
1: Yeah.
0: I have no idea what happened before then, but I know I wasn't a newborn.
2: Yeah.
0: So whatever you experienced from the time you got here till now, I mean, that's that is your life, to be denied that. Because of a lack of education on someone else's part, like that's not your weight to carry. Yeah, but that's what they don't get. Mm-hmm. That's
1: what they don't get. I mean, I really, really felt like a lot of these universities I auditioned for. I mean, big schools that are like, they're literally the place you do musical theater and the place you do acting mm. for. Like that's the place you want to be, and it's like y'all don't
0: get it. Yeah. Y'all really don't get it. Yeah. Well, it's too time consuming, Josue. Of course, man. It distracts. It distracts from what we're trying to build here i get it to try and you know do the hard work of opening up our doors all the way yeah i mean I'm being sarcastic but that's that's often what i hear some 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 weak excuse because just saying no is easier yeah i don't have to i don't have to do the paperwork no you don't yeah
1: you don't have to find a solution either so no
0: yeah that's somebody else's job to figure out exactly You find your voice through performing. You get a stronger sense of self when you are able to marry the two people you get to this place that you're in now. What are the things that challenge you performance-wise? What are the things that get get you excited when we... Great job, Josue. Here's the script. We'll see you on Monday for our first read.
1: Got it. My biggest challenge was overcoming believing in myself.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, man, like even in college, you know, I'm getting all these great ways to like, hey, acting is about one character trying to get another character to do something. That's always something Tom McNally always like drilled in us. Right. And I mean, I got it. I got most of the training. I understood what was going on, but there was just something not right. And it wasn't until I took a movement class with Andrea Moon And I'm really name dropping here because I mean, really, 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 I mean, she said what I needed to hear in that moment. And I mean, we had this like midterm assessment, like everyone was kind of nervous to go talk to this woman in her office. Like everyone's like, I mean, this is like lady's like real she's real smart she's real great like it's like a lot of people say like she's life changing when you have this mm. and I walk in and I'm it's like, like you Neo know, Neo meeting the oracle exactly it's like Neo meeting the oracle I'm Neo she's the oracle mm. and I'm like man I don't know what's going to happen in this room and I go in and I'm like hey listen like I'm, I feel like I'm doing all the work I really like your movement class I really feel like I'm learning a lot and then I just kind of leave it like dead air like that mm. and then she just goes and it's like okay well it sounds like you have something else to say it sounds almost as if there's a but coming like right after you finished your sentence there. Mm. And like, I didn't want to acknowledge it, but it was like, yeah, I was like, there is kind of a but coming in there. I don't know what's going on. And then she just goes, well, listen, it's like, the reason you're saying but is because you don't believe in yourself. Mm. And that's something that's holding you back. And like, I remember leaving there and I was like, whoa, mm. like that's that's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I'm thinking back and it's like, man, it's like, yeah, like at every turn, at every single turn, I wanted someone else to believe in me. Tom McNally didn't give me that. Mm -hmm. None of the professors there gave me that. My parents didn't give me that. Nobody gave me that. It's like, it was a gift I had to give myself. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that like, it was just so hard to grasp. It was just so hard. It's like, man, well, I mean, now I know. Mm -hmm. So I can do something about it. But like, what does it look like to believe in yourself? Yeah. And after really learning and really trying, I mean, it really is just day to day. It's like when you're when you're set up against opposition, when you're set up against a challenge, it's that moment to say, hey, you can do hard things. You can do this. Give it a shot. And then when I started giving more of a shot and I started doing more of the things, I realized that when I failed, those were the moments that really, really were like gold to mm-hmm. me. Like I literally like panning for gold in the rivers of Colorado. Like there it is. Like that's gold. Whenever I fail, I feel like I excel. Mm. I feel like that's a moment to learn the most from success is I'm not that much of a fan of. Cause I mean, when I succeed, it's like, ah, it's great. Like you did, you did the work, but also like what you don't see is all those moments where you didn't believe in yourself Mm. and you, then you tried to, and then it worked and maybe you failed. Maybe your first idea isn't the best idea. Right. And it's like, Oh, but the second idea that's
0: lit. That's where you locked right. in. Right. That's yeah. where you lock exactly. in.
1: That's where it is. Mm. So I mean, for me, it was really trying to find what believing in myself was. And ever since then, it's just been electric. Mm. It's literally just electricity flowing out of my fingertips. Mm. And I mean, I see people who have just been told yes their entire lives. And I look at myself who their entire my entire life was told no. And, I mean, I see a shocking difference. I mean, in every single thing I do, I end up finding that it's like, you know what, I'm here right now, and I can do what I really want to do because I believe in myself, and I have a bunch of skills that I've developed and I've worked for over the years that just really amplify that. Yeah. It's like, really, it's like once... Once you find something that you can really find yourself in, theater, acting, right? Like really that lets you kind of like dig deeper in yourself and who you are. Mm -hmm. And then you just find the things that like are holding you back and you're able to say, hey, like I see that. Let's try to fix it. Let's try to change it. It took years. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've gone through a metamorphosis at least three or four times in my life. And every single time it has been about trying to be better mm-hmm. just trying to do better and I mean that's what life is isn't it yeah
0: and it's just well I think yeah. one of the things that you're, wh- you've been spelling out over the last couple of seconds is that it's okay to start over it's okay to be doing one thing okay that didn't work after however long it took you to do it I'm gonna try this now yeah it's okay Sometimes, I mean, the, one of the things that I always, I, the metaphor I always use when I'm feeling like I'm not accomplishing enough is I'm spinning my wheels. What am I not doing? How can I accomplish something? I'm spinning my wheels. Nothing's changed. I can still, yeah. I've still got the same roof over my head. I'm still looking at the same walls, blah, 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 blah. And I get so down because I fear that that's, will be, that will be the norm. I won't get past that. When in reality, just it's just the brain that's fixated on what I've deemed failure. Yeah. As opposed to this is feels different because it's new. This is a new stage of the of the experience. What you describe about, you know, my failures being my successes, basically, where I've found like those were the parts that excited you in your creation. It was like those are the parts that have to excite you on your journey. Yeah. This didn't work. Well, why didn't that work? Okay, let's try it this way now. And at the end of the day, love my cliches, you are damn it. I had the thought and I lost it on my joke. Self deprecation, it's a hell of a thing. It really is. Yeah. When you start at the end of the day, When you are incorporating all of these life experiences, we're not really worried about like a finish line. We're worried about our journey and trying to get to a place where we don't judge every step of it along the way. I feel like that's where you got comfortable in your experiences talking about failing in class and then, oh, the, the success was supposed to happen. It was supposed to go like that. I was supposed to get there. That was the expectation. I just didn't know the map to get there. Yeah. I took a couple of turns and boom, here I am. Yeah. Mm. What are some of the stories you want to tell?
1: Some of the stories I want to tell? Yeah. Oh, man.
0: What stories do you think need to be told?
1: For me, I think the stories that need to be told are what it's like growing up in America being told no. Mm. The entire time. I mean, we're so used to thinking that the American dream was such a real intangible thing. Mm. And now we're kind of like debating, well, is it real? Is it not? I think it's real. I think in some sense, like you have all the there's a bunch of tools available to you. Maybe some tools are missing. Maybe some tools aren't there. Mm. You can do what you want to do. There's a way to do it. You just have to figure out how Mm. and you have to figure out what's holding you back. And maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone negative in your life. Maybe it's someone positive that you don't realize has a negative impact on you. There's something there. Mm. There's something stopping you. And it's really, you got you to gotta start thinking. You got to self-reflect. Like It's like, what, how can I be better? Mm. What am I doing right now that I could be doing better? What are mm. the standards I want to set for myself to do a good job, to do what I want to do, to get to where I want to go? I think for me, I think the stories that need to be told are what it's like coming to this country, Mm -hmm. what it's like to come from somewhere else that's even worse and come here thinking like this is the best life that I can imagine myself with. Mm -hmm. I mean, Refuge, right? Yeah. That's one of the reasons I was like so excited to work on Refuge was that this is finally like telling a story. Of someone coming from a different country, from a different background, mm-hmm. might be off might be might be off worse in life. Mm-hmm. It's like coming here and like thinking of our daily struggles, you know, it's not great here. It's not the best thing ever. But I mean to them it's like, oh man, this is like luxury mm-hmm. from where I'm from. I think those stories need to be told. I think those stories deserve a space. I think those story I think every everyone in the society is deserving of those stories. For one reason, is that they don't know. I always, always try to share that I'm a Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It irks my parents, and I get why. I get why it would irk them. It's like you're putting yourself out there. That's a dangerous place to be in. But for me, I know for a fact a lot of people don't know these stories. Mm. A lot of people don't understand. And what they're getting most of their information from is from the media. Mm. It's from politicians. It's like these people are coming to steal your jobs. These people are coming to, you mean, know, what did Trump say, really? What did Trump say? Like the first thing he said, it's I like Mexicans. Don't, I don't Mexicans believe
0: I ever registered anything he said. I just knew it was terrible. And Trump,
1: loud. right off the bat, said Mexicans are drug dealers, they're yeah, rapists, yeah. and they're here to steal our jobs, yeah. and a bunch of
0: nonsense. I was trying to push that out of my brain, Josue. I know, but I know. it's, but it's different but for but you, hey, right?
1: Hey, 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 hey. That's, that's where people are. Yeah. That's what people yeah. believe. And when we don't present the stories in their honesty and their truthfulness— that's that's the story that gets led. That's mm-hmm. the story that lands with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, with my best friends, with everyone who I've ever, who I've ever known, I tell them the story and I change them. Not, not, well, actually, I don't change them. They change themselves. Mm-hmm. I give them my story. I give them my perspective. I give them my experience. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's up to them to yeah. decide what they think the truth is. And for me, that's that's the space the society needs. That's the space. These are the stories that are are valuable right now. Mm. Because what we're hearing is is just negative. Yeah. It's just whatever other people want us to feel. Yeah.
0: It's, it's the other. It's the other. Yeah, we love... I mean, I think humanity loves to identify themselves by what they're not. Exactly. And point and create their own either physical or mental walls to keep people separated from themselves. And I feel like, I mean, I think you you address just that, like all I can do is share with my friends, my experience and they can do what they will with that. Yeah. Do you feel like this is, this sounds like such a, I don't know how smart of a question this sounds like. That's okay. Do you feel a certain level of American patriotism going through your experience? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll speak for me. I was for the longest time one of like out of all my friends I was like the loudest USA guy USA USA the chant guy among all my friends and then it took years of study and self-exploration and acknowledging where I came from and where you know 50% of my blood came from and then even the other 50% for a long time was was treated pretty poorly and until they're like oh the vast majority of Irish people are white so I guess they're okay you know so like there's that whole level of experience and then i got to this place and i'm like okay i just can't do this shit anymore i'm never wearing a lapel pin if that's how we're measuring this stuff yeah i don't i don't care for you there's a, a i'm not saying you're where's like sam where's your lapel pin guy but i'm just like is there a level of patriotism for you that you have for the united states absolutely mm.
1: i i think i mean you know there's a lot of debate as to what makes this country great and what makes this country terrible mm. I don't think any place in the world is perfect. Yep. I don't think anyone is perfect. I'm not perfect. I have a bunch of faults. I have a bunch of things I'm working on. Name
0: twenty. No, I'm name
1: twenty. I mean, I'm kidding. Don't don't do
0: that. Well, here's the thing. It's don't like
1: we could we could we could name a bunch of things that are wrong with this country. But yeah. that's that's the everyday life. Mm-hmm. It's we have to make the choice of how we want to see the country grow, how we want to see the seeds we sprout that we'll never get to see. Right. And we'll never get to see grow into plants. It's like it's really life in this country is kind of a selfless thing. We have to think of it of like, how can we improve this country for the people who are going to be here after us? Mm. And to me, that's that to me, is what patriotism is. It's not about waving the biggest flag. waving, sorry, waving the biggest United States flag.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's
1: not about that. Yeah. It's about honestly saying, hey, I don't think this is where we should be going in the future I think this we need to focus on more I mean honestly I can give you all the details of like what I think needs to be done with immigration but I mean we'd be here for like two hours yeah yeah, absolutely and I mean honestly just judging from how I've talked to people I'm pretty sure neither of you know that much about immigration well from your own experience yeah
0: I mean the vast majority of what I learned I learned over the course of the refuge process exactly I mean, up until that point, it was there was, I believe, there was already like at least a fence. I didn't understand why. Anyway, well, you don't have to deal with it. Exactly. I'm the I one never who had to deal with there. it. Yeah. And I'm here telling you, like, I think these things should be done this way.
1: But hey, but that to me is what American yeah. patriotism is. It's being able to say, hey, this country has a lot of great things. I think there's a lot of things we could work on. Let's just work on them.
0: Mm. Like a level of honesty.
1: Level of honesty. Yeah, absolutely.
0: One of the things I wanted to touch on with you. We had such a unique experience in Refuge. We really did. Bringing, especially the show, the way it started, we all brought something that either spoke directly to our character or spoke directly to us as people. You brought on a very important document. Did you, did you feel through that process, that experience, did that provide a different level of authenticity to your performance? Did it provide a, a different level of connection to the work you were doing? Did it was it un, was it uncomfortable ever to share that level in that setting? Was that the first time you'd done something like that? I think to the extent that
1: I did it in refuge, yes, it mm-hmm. was definitely something new. Um, just to give a little more context for the audience, mm-hmm. um, I brought in an old expired DACA card, put it in an envelope that I usually do receive those cards with, and I put that as my offering, my ofrenda to uh, the Virgin Mary, La Virgen de Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. And I did that every single day. And I know for a fact, the connection that got it, that got for me in that show was, I might have this document that lets me do everything I wanted to do. But I know for a fact, there are millions of other people out there that don't have this document. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was looking at it, acknowledging that, looking up at the Virgin Mary and saying, hey, like, it is what it is. Mm -hmm we can still do a lot with what we have. I have no shame in having this document. I don't think anyone who doesn't have that, who doesn't have anything remote to that, they should feel like they should fight for what they want. They should feel like they can do it. Because I mean, we have a saying, si se puede, yes we can. And I mean, we shout that, man, we're losing it, like we're losing like 12-0 in soccer and we're still shouting it at our team. Obviously maybe it's not going to happen but it's the spirit right it's yeah. like yeah yeah it could still happen things mm-hmm. can still change no matter how much time is left on the clock
0: yeah i th- i think when th- i think that speaks to a, a great deal of understanding to what people's go through generationally mm. yeah because like the 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 struggle to find a better living situation for Mexicans, Hondurans, go down the list, has been lifelong, generational, and not exclusive to those peoples. People from Africa, people from the Middle East, from England, Canada, people coming here because of what they've been sold, what we've been advertising. Yeah. And for certain peoples... It's a harder struggle than for others. Yeah. And we see, we're seeing something along those lines, pretty damn similar, right now with like Ukrainians that are being welcomed here to America. They're going through something terrible. I would not wish that on anyone. But the stark contrast between the ease of which they're being allowed access to this country, as opposed to the people that we were representing in our story of refuge, it's glaring yeah it's very glaring the The amount of hoops that have to be jumped through, and yet those stories of how difficult it is once you're here to stay to stay connected to the people you came with those stories get told they get sent back home, and yet people still try yeah and yet people still try to bring friends and family over and there's a reason for that, but it, the dedication to the message of say, it say it one more time. of what with? C-sip with. Yes, we can. The, the, the prevalence of that message amongst the generations, it's, it's really, it's really inspiring. As you look at your experiences, you look at the career you've carved for yourself. Do you think of yourself as an artist to shed light on these stories? Is that like a calling you find yourself after you've gone through it? Or is this something you've picked up the more you've done your own self-care and self-work?
1: I think it was there since the beginning, right right from the get-go of, no, no Ivan, you can't tell people you're Mexican. You can't tell people you know Spanish. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing I did? I told them. Yeah. There was always a sense of having to tell my story and where I came from. Because, again, as time went on, I learned you don't know anything about it. Yeah. You don't have to go through it. So how would you know about it? It's like the only way you know about it is through me, the person who went through it. And to me, that's that's where change lies. That's where it really, really matters. I mean, i've I've wanted to like really like ins- inspire the community, the DACA community of all people. I mean, these are people who have protections against deportation, mm-hmm. who have the means to, to to figure out their lives. And for me, the most important thing that we can do is speak up for the people, be upstanders for the people. Who don't have that? Mm-hmm. Who don't have those voices? Who who would speak up and immediately be deported? Mm-hmm. It's like we have an op- we have a very clean and clear opportunity to tell our stories and make a difference. Mm-hmm. And the thing I see is people are scared. People don't know what it don't don't know what that could mean. They don't know what it could mean for their loved ones who might not have those protections. They don't know what it could mean for themselves. Right? I mean, really, it's if I commit a felony, it's over. Yeah, that's done. They take it away, and I'm out. I'm out of the game. It's that easy. But it's like, you know, it's I that's why I'm telling you, like you look back to how I was in high school. I was a good boy. Hmm. I had to be like for the sake of my life. Like I had no other choice. Like, man, I really got to pay attention to what's going on in class. And I really just got to be on my best behavior. I can't be out there like drinking alcohol like before the age of 21. I can't be doing anything illegal like I really Hmm. cannot. I'm walking a very thin line of ice. And it's like, how would you know that? Yeah. How would you know that? There's no way of knowing that unless I put myself out there and tell you myself. Yeah. And that to me is like, as I mean, it was there from the beginning, but as I've grown, it's like, yeah, dude, you need to be out there telling your story. Mm-hmm. Man, I'd love to tell it. I actually took a, a storytelling class in New York. And the funny thing about that was I'm only bringing it up. Um David Devlinger, I think. Um, I hope I remember his name. I'm name dropping now. But uh, that guy, man, he could tell a story like no one else's business. And mm-hmm. he just inspired me just like to really tell a story. A story is really, really impactful when it's just honest. There's no embellishment to it. There's no lies to it. It just is the pure truth. And I mean, I went up there. I, I wanted to be like, all right, like, Where was I before DACA? Where was I after DACA? That's the story. Mm. And I put it together. I like pieced it together. I thought about it. Originally, my first idea was not my best idea. It was terrible. I kind of cringe at it now that I think about it. (laughs) But the thing I came with class the next time, I mean, I could see people visually leaning in. And I mean, everyone else's stories in there really grew and they were beautiful and they were wonderful. And I will say, my story stood out the most, the most impactful. And I mean, how could you, how could you have that experience and not say, man, like, fuck, I shouldn't be telling my story. That's that's not, who am I going to change by saying that? It's like, I could.
0: Well, how did you feel hearing it, hearing it be done for you? I'm assuming you weren't reading it, right? You were sitting in the audience taking it in, right? For refuge. Or no, your story. Oh. The story that you wrote. Or are you talking about?
1: No, I'm talking about the story that I told in class that I still have now. Yeah. I have it in video form. I kind of still have it in my head.
0: Mm. A little bit, because I mean, so it's my story. So then you watched other, pe- other people performed your story? No, no, no. Class? Sorry,
1: sorry. Other people performed their stories. Okay, so you did your I performed oh, my story. Did. When
0: you share that story, do you feel some of that... I mean, one of the things, you, you hearkening back to what your therapist had mentioned in terms of the trauma, like... That constant reminder of how good you had to be, what you can't screw up, all of that stuff, like that's a stress, right? That's a stressor that followed for a very long time, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously. Does telling your story ease some of that?
1: In some ways, yeah. Makes me not think about it. Hmm. Honestly, it sucks to think about it. Imagine if somebody was like over your shoulder telling you, hey, you gotta be good, Mm -hmm. or else. Or else I'll get you. Mm -hmm. You have to go back. You have to go to a country you like, kind of don't remember completely different ball game down there. You want that? Mm-hmm. It's so, it's someone over your shoulder telling you that. Mm-hmm. And there's just such a beauty to it. I mean, when I when I told you all that story about passing through El Paso mm-hmm. in 2019. Should I tell that story right now? Yeah, tell I, that story. I'll tell the story. Okay. Well, in 2019 I was part of a tour with Creed Repertory Theater, and we had to go to Texas because a lovely, lovely, lovely actor who I had to work with um, her name is Riva. She had to get her hair done. And the only place we could do it was El Paso, Texas. So I was like, yeah, boy, let's go to El Paso, Texas. That's that sounds lit as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm over there driving. I'm listening to Town, and I finally pull into El Paso. Literally, I mean, Mexico, the land, it's right there. Yeah. It's just like a border away. I've never seen it before. Like, it's like that is a different country right there. That is the country I was born in. That was the country my family came from. Like, fuck. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, we spent like three, four days there. Unfortunately, uh, the person doing Riva's hair was not great. So we went there for nothing. And it was like, oh, man, that's such a shame. I'm sorry, Riva, you had to go through that. But hey, El Paso was pretty great. We start going back. We head north. And I remember too, when I was driving down there, I, I noticed to my left there was like a checkpoint looking thing. Like, I was like, oh, there's a checkpoint here. Cool. Passing through New Mexico. I, mean, I, I didn't think about it. But as we were driving back, I, re- I see the same roads and I'm like, oh, Oh, we're going to pass through that checkpoint. Oh, that's the thing. Okay, great. And I mean, at first I was like, should I be nervous? And I thought, no, why should you be? Mm. It's like, you have everything you need right here. You got your driver's license, always carry my DACA card. What else could you need? It's like, I I know where I belong. And I remember like pulling in and like waiting in line. It was a bit of a long line. And I remember Reva, and our stage manager getting up and they were like, oh, what's going on? It's like, hey, we're going through a checkpoint. Like you might want to have your IDs out. They didn't have to have their IDs out, but I was (laughs) like, you know, like me being me, I was like, you know, just keep them out just in case. Mm -hmm. And the first thing the guy tells us, asks us is just, is everyone in the vehicle a United States citizen? I mean, just so straightforward, straight up. And, you know, me being the man I am, I'm like, "Uh, those two are, but I'm not. And he's like, oh, cool. Can I see some documents? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Here's my ID. Here's my DACA card. And he's over there typing in the computer. He switches to Spanish to ask me. Where I'm from. De donde vienes? And I'm like, oh, uh, bueno, I like, you know, I, I'm from Denver. I, I'm from Colorado. I respond yeah, yeah. to him in Spanish. And I'm yeah. like, but originally, you know, I'm from Nesa Huacoyito, Mexico, Ciudad oh. Nesa. And he's like, cool, 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 cool. Like types a few things more in, hands me back my documents. Like, all right, you have a good day. And that was it. Nice. That was that. I knew where I belonged. Yeah, I know where I belonged. Now, when I told my dad that story, uh, that's a totally different story. I mean, I got a whole earful from him. It's like, how could you be so stupid to go down there? It's like, what the hell is your problem? Like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, come on. Like, you could have been gone. And what's, what's the next phone call yeah. we get? You're from, you're, hey, 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 dad, I'm in Mexico. Like, I fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that. Yeah. It's like, at, at some point, you just kind of have to realize, like, you know where you belong. Mm-hmm. Fuck that dude who's like on your shoulder telling you like all this shit. Like, no, 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 no. There's power to finally overcoming fear. There's power to finally say, no, no, no. I know where I belong. I know my rights. Because guess what? We all got rights. If you're a listener right now and you're in the same position that I'm in, or in a similar position, you have rights. You have the right to a phone call, you have the right to an attorney. And that is such an injustice happening in our country thousands millions of people are getting deported and they don't even get a phone call they don't even get a lawyer they don't know their rights Mm -hmm. they just don't and they're being detained
0: by people who didn't go through any like special justice system training they're just people collecting a check that are not you know not following any lines of decorum they feel like they're just doing a job
1: yeah hey man I'm doing a job too. Sometimes, yeah, that's how it is. That's how it be. Sometimes, yeah. I get it. There's some empathy there. It is what it is.
0: But you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you're that is your job. But you have to know their rights. You have to know the rights of these people. You can't just deny them and yeah. then say, in the, in hindsight, I was just doing my job. Like, yeah, yeah. well, then your job was was wrong. It, it was flawed. You did not do a good job. Yeah. Um. Oh sway, yes, sir. What is that ghost that you wish was left on for you when you started?
1: I'm working with kids right now. Ooh, Um, I'm a tutor. I'm a substitute. That's what I do when I'm not acting on on stage. And like, sometimes these kids tell me something that I'm just like, I kind of lean in on, and I'm like, I think you're in the same position I am. Mm. And for me. The ghost light for me is no matter what happens, no matter who tells you no, if you really feel like you can do it, get smart. Realize what you're doing wrong. Like, I you know it's call yourself out on it. Be honest with yourself. Like, th- th- your biggest ally is you, the biggest ally you have in this life is yourself. Mm-hmm. You are capable of everything if you allow yourself to do it. So get what you need. Get your education. Go to therapy. Do things that make you kind of scared. Do new things. Try new things. If somebody tells you no, there's a yes somewhere. Somewhere. There's a door that's kind of cracked open that you just kind of have to push open. Never give up. Your failures are your biggest successes. Your failures are your biggest indication of what you need to do right. Say, don't be scared to be wrong. Don't be scared to be wrong.
0: Nice. Be honest. Well, so that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of this with me. Um, Sharing that with our with our ghosties at home. Uh, I wanted to take a moment as we get to the end of the podcast. Some things I've been thinking about. I've been kind of tackling as just a artist in the community, and you know, my role may. May change, it might not always be in this community. I mean, there's my fingers across for some growth in that area. But um, I wanna talk about actor advocacy, artist advocacy. Um, self-advocacy is a big thing, and I, f- and I feel like it touches on kind of what I feel like your ghost line is, Josue, so it's a nice segue, this learning about yourself, growing in confidence about yourself, to know when you can and can't do the job, and to know that it is okay to say no. Um, I feel like a lot more theater companies are gonna have to get used to this. And it is going to behoove you in the long haul theater companies to be supportive in that actor advocacy. Someone comes to you, an artist comes up to you and says, I'm sick, I I can't go on, I'm dealing with something Really personal. My brain isn't here. I need a night. I need a night to process. I'll be back. If you're not going to invest in understudies, you will more than likely, if you can't invest in understudies, you will more than likely need to be willing and able to accommodate these nights off. I encourage you all to do that. I feel like, I honestly feel like it's going to become a real life thing that you will have to deal with more often than not. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't be happier for that. Cause Lord knows I have not always had the confidence to advocate for myself when I wasn't feeling right. When I wasn't feeling like I could do the show or like I have a great example. I was doing one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I was so sick. I was sweating and dizzy. I would do a scene, come off stage, sit in the dark, and, and try really hard to relegate my body temperature, which I couldn't. There was It would fluctuate to like a high fever, to you know chills. And I shouldn't have been on stage that night. Yeah. Shouldn't have been on stage. Mm-hmm. I got through it. And I always say, Sam is sick, but the character isn't sick. And that is just part of that old way I have taught myself to do the thing. And I know a lot of us hold on to that. And that's okay to start working through those things. I just want to say, learn about yourself. Yeah. Grow confident in yourself. Know what you are capable of and know when it's okay, I should say, and know that it is always okay to say, I need, I need a night.
1: Yeah, I can't do it.
0: I, I can't do it tonight. I just need a day. Yeah. And to the actors, to the artists who are not in a similar fashion, but say sharing the stage with those people, grow confident in having their back. There's a professional way to go about doing that. There's a way to advocate for your friends on stage, your family on stage, your partners on stage. There's a professional, calm, kind way to do that. Get comfortable doing that. Yeah. I think I'm off my soapbox.
1: That's that's good, man. That's great. Honestly, if I can add on one thing, just be ready to have a conversation. With with whoever, whoever's in charge, artistic directors, be willing to, to understand that there's two sides to the story. I mean, even when theaters do wrong, right? Whether that be with oh you're sick but you're still gonna do it because I mean I made a promise here, yeah, yeah. or even if there's something inappropriate, right? Like there's like they're they're mis mispro- misappropriating some culture or mm-hmm. a person or misusing people or even like like using people of color poorly Mm -hmm. in a way, or like using them for, for their purposes. It's like, you know, sometimes a lot of those things are just conversations that need to be had. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to just be like, how dare you not know the difference between this and this Mm -hmm. or do this. And it's like, you know, the hard thing to do is to understand that people make mistakes Mm -hmm that people are right now where we are, yeah, this country is, has a lot of racism, there's a lot of things ingrained in it, mm-hmm. and to acknowledge that and to say, I see where we're coming from, so let's have a conversation to do better next time, to do better tomorrow. Absolutely. And give people the chance. Just give people, it's just a chance. I'm not saying like, you know, you don't have to burn the whole theater down, but you know, give them a chance to do something different.
0: That's the seed of the collaboration. Exactly. Give people a chance. To have chance. that conversation because they might not have been forced to deal with it before a decision was made. Yeah. Now's the perfect upper time, yeah. opportunity to do just that. Exactly. Dan, do the damn thing. We are being stupid.
2: Yeah, yeah, just like I said. We are just a couple L- of guys messing
0: around wearing pirate hats. We're, we're not recording. wearing pirate hats. <laughs> yeah, we took those off. Thank God, because um, <laughs> I'm almost positive we're probably going to have a ring of acne right here now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Found our ending uh, soundbite already. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, but thank God for that. We like to throw a little something on the tail end. Is that right after no. like
2: the ending song? Uh, I would say 80% of the time there's some little extra... Uh, something or other. I'll have to to listen back to some of the episodes. I think there's one at the end of the jury pod. There's one at the end of a lot of them. Yeah. Um, sometimes it'll just be someone telling us how great we are. Oh, nice. Other times it'll be just some embarrassing thing that we said. Or, you know, we always mm. talk for five or ten minutes like we're doing like here beforehand. Mm. And there's always some little thing that's like, oh, that would be funny, but... We're not, well, I'm going to start when we start. So, yeah, But right, 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 right. then there's something in there.
0: Every once in a while, it, Dan just leaves the recorder on while I cry into the microphone. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a lot a of angst that I'm trying to work through.
1: Yeah. <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah. Some I some certainly I hope yeah. so.
0: Yeah. Um, this would be a good time to Oop. advocate for therapy. He did it again. What is it now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go close that. <laughs> that would nice. be a good <laughs> <laughs> idea. No, <laughs> oh, seriously. Wow. Should we close that door over there, too? Okay. Uh, to no. the no. green room? All right. Speaking of therapy, man. Therapy so good. Is it? Do you <laughs> so see good. a therapist?
1: No, I actually um I saw family therapist for the first oh. time ever last oh, week. Oh shit! Something I didn't expect, like neither of my parents to kind of go for, yeah. and we did, it, and it was great. That's awesome. Learned dude. a little, little tidbits, learned things here and there. Cool. Yeah.
0: Anything? Uh, anything that you didn't anticipate from the experience that was like super eye opening? Without going into details?
1: Yes, because I'm going to mention it today. Probably. So <laughs> I'll save that for later. Let's save that for later.
0: Well, good, uh, shall we dive right in? Yeah. Okay. <gasps> yeah. I swear to God, if you, any of you guys do that one more time, we're pouring another shot. <gasps> All right? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> damn it. Damn it. <laughs> what have you done? Yeah.
2: This is the worst. This is the worst.
0: It's actually very decent. Uh, Anejo tequila. It's uh, Luna Azul Anejo. Bring that, bring that Tito's cup over here. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's fine. I just gonna want to reach across this thing and move of the course, microphone. Of
1: course, of
0: course. You don't want to say, "Pardon my reach." Yeah, pardon my reach. No, never that. But always, pardon my French.
1: Again, another? Yeah, I might I wait. I might wait for this one. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm right. Let this, I'm we'll let well, this we'll one save for it for later. One. I'm not, we'll gonna, I'm
0: not gonna. I'm not gonna. We'll, we'll save it for later. Though we'll find the right moment. But we've poured another one that's right it's going to happen
1: i'm such a lightweight guy it's like it's i know
0: that's why i was like we'll just do the one and then to have our waters on standby you had that giant jug next to you that's true and mm-hmm. it was it was i'm just really really proud of you thank you yeah Can um i
1: drink too and also yeah for the day. I, I know
0: yeah i know i we you know what i really wanted to do this was the first podcast where i thought oh what if we what if we hit up like an edible like 30 <laughs> minutes beforehand And then just had the slowest conversation ever.
2: Oh my god! You you know what that would be like?
0: Is it would be? It it would be be
2: like every time I try to talk, where I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) the thing. The thing. I've forgotten your name. I.
0: I want you to hold my.
2: (laughs) This is why I can't be a regular, major contributor. Because I just can't remember people, places, things, names. Like, I have an idea and I try to explain it, and I'm like, I just forgot the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Bad, it's bad radio. It is bad radio. It is bad radio.
0: I love it too, because I'll be sitting here sometimes and I'll want to think of a conversation or a question to ask, and, and you'll finish talking. You'll finish your story. It's a beautiful summation of your point, and everyone's like, oh, nice. That was really good. What was I waiting for? i'll stare at you and i won't say anything gotcha i'll look at dan and dan's like i think he's done talking what what are you waiting for and then it'll occur to me that i have a podcast and i have to ask another question and then i'll just do um uh uh
2: when we get to this point in the podcast exactly (laughs) 10 minutes in 10 minutes in
0: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can edit that in post though.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We'll take it. We'll take a, we'll hey, take a we lot of this out. The post. We'll, yeah, we'll take a lot of this out in post because <laughs> I haven't even officially started the dang.